0: kind of fell into tears for everybody except City.
1: I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 340 of Low Limit Football on this 31st of October 2021. I am your host, Joe Ucello. And tonight, Ronald Koeman is sacked at Barcelona, clearing the way for a familiar face to return to the Blaugrana. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is given three matches to turn his fortunes around at Manchester United. How did he do against Tottenham Hotspur in match one? We're going to definitely let you know. And things are changing fast and furious both in the Serie A and at Inter specifically. We're going to discuss that and much more with our very special guest, Nima Tavale from SemperInter.com and the Italian Football Podcast, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my man? I'm good, Joe. How are you? Good. Happy Halloween. I, I did. I, I neglected Happy to mention Halloween. that.
0: Happy Halloween. That's
1: right. Yeah, of course. Happy Halloween. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, you know, everything good week so far. You know, rocking and rolling. Uh, yeah, unless you're a certain Dutch manager in Spain, <laughs> I know. no look, well, we're gonna we're gonna definitely get into Ronald Koeman in a in a bit for sure because uh, that was certainly one of the biggest news pieces of the week this week uh, since we were since we were last on the air. So, um, if you don't mind, can I can I have the floor for a minute? Um, if you, if you don't mind, um, so for, you know, for those of you that know me personally, um, suffered a tragedy in, in, I guess my footballing lifetime here this past week, uh, there was, uh, a a car accident in, in my hometown here. I previously, I was a, a rec soccer coach here and I coached many, many kids in town over the years. Um, but one of those kids tragically lost their lives, uh, in, in the accident and, um, I just wanted to reflect really quick about what we do as, as, as coaches. Um, and, and, you know, this would be a great, you know, segment for like a Glenn Crooks or something like that. But, um, Tyler Graham to me was, was somebody that was, he was a, a footballer, a soccer player that, that was, he was always very spirited. Um, he was always very aggressive. He, he would march onto the battlefield and do for you what you wanted him to do, um, And, and he also did his best to build his teammates up around him and, and, and really just put his best foot forward, uh, played with my daughter two seasons, one of which I coached, uh, which was actually the last season I coached and, um, tragically again, like I said, lost, lost his life, uh, far too soon, 18 years old, uh, earlier this week, uh, this past week, um difficult you know to, to attend the funeral um, but heartwarming when I when I saw his mother and and she looked at me and said that um, that he always loved playing for me. Uh, it's something that for me um, is difficult to swallow uh, because you know I, I would much rather have coached him much much longer. I would rather have him seen him grow. Uh, he was a lacrosse player first and foremost and, and currently enrolled in Western Connecticut State University um, on the lacrosse team. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's amazing how close you take these kids to you and, and I, and you call them one of your own, you call them your kids because, you know, those parents have have given those children to you and they've said, you know, teach them whatever that may be, soccer, sportsmanship, um, teamwork, those, those are the things. And I, and I always told my kids at the, at the beginning of every season, i don't care if we win or lose my goal is to make you a better soccer player at the end of the season than you are at the beginning of the season and if we've done that then i've done my job and 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 i'm very happy to do that job and and tyler was always certainly one of those uh players uh that improved game after game after game um but grew as a person grew as a man grew as a teammate grew as a leader, and. And, and and I hope I, I was able to give him some of that um, and it's heartbreaking to see him leave us before he can continue his journey uh, to, to to be that leader both at the college level and beyond so I just wanted to say you know that my thoughts and prayers are, are with his dad his mom uh, his two sisters especially Katie who was uh, in high school and uh, had the uh, and my daughter had the pleasure of playing with her on the high school lacrosse team as well so um, you know this hit us very hard and and I want to thank you, my friend, for giving me a couple minutes to talk about Tyler Graham because he was a very special man, young man, a very special person. And and this community, his teammates, his friends, his family uh, will all miss him very dearly. So I uh, just wanted to, to, to talk about that real quick. So let's, um, let's jump into the show because uh, I think we've got a great jam-packed show. We've got Nima Tavale co- joining us today, which uh, is always a pleasure. He's one of our absolute best friends. Um, and 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 one of the guys that really sees this uh you know is one of the driving forces for us um as journalists as as podcasters uh, you know to talk about this so I can't wait to get to to the discussion with him, but I want to give you a trivia question, my friend if you are so ready for the uh the information let's do it so uh there we we've got a manager heavy show this week uh and We obviously have the news of Ronald Koeman being sacked by Barcelona. My question to you is twofold, my friend, and I'm only looking for numbers. I'm not looking for names. I want you to tell me, so far in the 21-22 season, in the top five leagues in Europe, how many coaches have been sacked, and what country leads the way with most most coaches sacked in that time frame. So I'm, I'm looking for that's a really good question. And my my information comes from Transfer Market. So uh, if, if they're wrong, then, you know, you're going to have to call Manu Veth and, and, and have it out with him. But uh, if you can give me the number of coaches that have been sacked so far in the 21-22 season or or have left their position to. But in the 21-22 season, coaches that have departed their positioning and what country leads the way is the most coaches sacked so far in that time frame. And we'll give you that answer at the end of the show. So, opening thoughts. And we're going to stick with... The uh, the coaching carousel that has been going on so far, Ronald Koeman again, like we mentioned, sacked by Barcelona earlier this week. Um, only really returned the Copa del Rey to that team. He's going to be replaced by Sergey Barwan, uh who comes up from the Barcelona B uh, coach uh, f- f- from the Barcelona B team. And from all in all, the tea leaves, all intents and purposes, all the signs show that we are clearing the way eventually for Xavi to come in and be that head coach coming over from Qatar. Um, we all kind of expected that Kuman was going to get sacked. His performances in the Champions League have been uh, extremely poor, only netting their first goal on their, you know, and finally their first shot on goal in their third match in the Champions League so far. Uh, so this was really going to be no surprise. And, and you wonder about the timing, if it is the right timing to bring in Sergey to come in and Possibly turn things around, or at least get things moving in the right direction with with the new, you know, with with the matches coming up in Champions League to see if they can get into the knockout stages. You also the news come up this week uh, on a side that uh, Sergio Aguero uh, left the match yesterday uh, for Barcelona, possibly with a heart issue, which is which is really scary for us. Um, I do want to just mention that quickly because I think it does make things difficult for Sergei to come in and possibly write this ship as losing one of their strikers. Uh, your your thoughts, Roberto, on this, and then we're going to go to the the next step of this, which is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and and what's going on there at Manchester United. But your thoughts on Kuman up uh, up front first? Yeah, I, I think
0: it was bound to happen. I think certainly we understand the. To this functionality that is occurring over there at Barcelona, and that the way that they've been performing, it, it was they wanted to pull the trigger, but just didn't know when, and they didn't think it was going to get any worse than it was, but it did. And you know, obviously, I'm not going to feel I'm not going to feel that much sympathy for someone like Koeman, because I think he had a lot of issues going on with this board. I think this board understands that they didn't want Kuman in the, like on the long term. I think they wanted to go for someone bigger and try to rebuild Barcelona. La Porta probably wanted that. So I think it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens from here and what kind of, you know, future that these guys have. And you know, I, I, I think we are really starting to to look at a Barcelona side that, you know, it's funny that we think of was the best team in the world, what, five years ago?
1: Hmm.
0: Not even? Yeah. And they've fallen all the way down. And it happens to most of the big teams. It happened to Liverpool. It happened to, to Milan at one point. But nothing like this. Nothing like what Barcelona has been through for the last few years. So... Yeah, this this will be interesting. As much as and, and for Aguero as well. I mean, yeah, it's it's kind of sad, to, you know, to see him be in that situation. We'll, we'll see if it's not very much serious. But you know, I think this has always been a player that you know it's a, it's unrelated, obviously. But you know, he's always been injury prone. And he's always had these these issues anyway. But yeah, yeah I, I don't. I, I think Barcelona are gonna go into this kind of. In this way of a, of a year zero, essentially, like a constant rebuild, I don't see them contending for anything aside of domestic titles if they're lucky to even get that. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they can win the Europa League. Maybe
1: they've got to get in first, right?
0: That's the thing, yeah. Um, and also, I guess he joins them too. There's a lot of the teams out there, yeah, that want to win that too. So, including not the ones that are leaving the Champions League, but also, um that are there as well. So yeah, it's, it's just been very difficult for Barcelona this whole season. And unless they turn around somehow, it, I think it's only going to get worse. I don't see them in a bad, bad spot, but at worst made table mm-hmm. and they missed out on European competitions.
1: Yeah. You know, like you said, they're they're If they finish third in their group in the champions league, they're going to end up in the Europa League, and they're going to end up with some very, very strong teams, not only that will also finish third in the Champions League, but also teams that are already there right now. So that's going to be something interesting to keep an eye on for Barcelona coming through here and to see if, if Sergey can uh, can go ahead and, and at least stabilize the ship. You know, we don't expect him to just turn this thing around and all of a sudden Barca run off nine straight wins or something like that. It's, that's I think that's uh, a little a bridge too far, but I think... You know, at least coming in and offering some stability to to move forward and at least get this ship going in the right direction will be the right thing. I I, I also agree. For me, this is not entirely Kooman's fault. Um, this is the the deck of cards he was handed, and he was handed handed a lousy deck of cards uh, when he came into this job because Barca were in such shambles. You just didn't see it; it was it was not readily visible to the world. But now, as we sit here in the end of October. We see that Barca has been a mess for at least a couple of years. Uh, the pandemic did them no favors, but it was just poorly, poorly managed. And and now here we are today. So, you know, we'll have to see. Let me ask you one question, though. Do you think Xavi's ready? Uh, you want me to be honest? Yes, I, of course. No. Yeah, I kind of have that similar feeling. But, I,
0: but, but, but here's the thing. Mm. Here's the thing. What what makes it... Because people can say, oh, but Guardiola didn't have that experience. Zidane didn't. Yeah. Xavi's experience was in Qatar.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Whereas Guardiola managed, I think, Barca B. Even Luis Enrique, he, he was a Barca B coach. Yeah. But he went, then he managed Roma. Then you have Zidane. He was Ancelotti's right-hand man.
1: He was also Real Madrid. Uh...
0: Yeah, he was that. So... You see that close connection. Xavi yeah. doesn't have that yet.
1: Yeah. I, I was going to say, for every for every Pep Guardiola and Zinedine Zidane you have in the world, you've also got a Frank Lampard and an Andrea Pirlo, right? I, I mean, that's the line. Oh, yeah, but, but,
0: but, but Lampard had the experience beforehand, not not
1: not, m- not much, yeah, but Pirlo was completely from scratch. And, and I mean, you know, I think Frank, Frank Lampard's probably a better comparison for Xavi than Pirlo. Pirlo was literally hey, you got your license. Here's the keys to the fastest Ferrari in Italy, right? I mean, that's that's really what happened to Pirlo. Um, where, where Lampard at least had a little bit more seasoning, you know, like we said with Xavi. I think Xavi's probably got a little more seasoning than Lampard, but but yeah, it's not the same. It's not the same speed. You would have almost preferred him going to like a mid-table club in Spain, right? You know, an um, Osasuna, something like that. I can't say Sociedad right now because Sociedad's leading the way. Um, but you know, and it would be blasphemy, but even like an Espanol, right. Um, but something, something like that, where you get your feet wet in the, in the league and then you come on and step into Barcelona. I, I, I agree. I think, I think he's not ready, but I do think that he does have, um, some of the tools that is going, that he's going to need to learn on the job at Barca. I think he's much better prepared for this than Pirlo was at Juventus. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's, going, it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on. Also, he's got a very young squad there, right? We've talked about Pedri. We've talked about Ansu Fati. There's so many nice little pieces. Serginho Dest is there. There are a lot of nice young pieces at Barcelona that I think he can kind of shape and mold into, into what he wants. So I think it's a decent spot. I don't think that they should heap the the massive expectations that you would get at a Barcelona on his shoulders right away. I think this is going to need, I, I would say conservatively two years. Uh, you know, once, once Xavi steps into that job, which I think, l- let's be honest, this is a foregone conclusion, right? Xavi's going to get the job. Um, but once he steps in, I think you've literally got to give him, give him 18 months to two years and then say, yes, he, we're moving where we need to be or no, we're not. And, and then make that make other decisions. But I think I, I I can't see them sacking him six months after they hire him uh, just because that's the instability right now that for me, Juventus is kind of going through. So, I mean, you, you, you think they give them two years? You think they want to, what have you done for me lately situation? What do you think about that?
0: I mean, this, this I, I don't know, Joe. Mm. At this point, of what we've been seeing in managerial, um, even for managers that maybe are there for too long or have been sacked yeah. too early. Gloves are off, then anything (laughs) can happen.
1: Marcelo Bielsa. I'm, I'm I'm in charge on Monday and I quit on Tuesday, right? Uh, Exactly. You you know? Yeah. yeah, That's just the way it is. Uh, you know, without getting too deep into this, because I want to definitely get to Nima here. Um, but the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer situation is interesting. Manchester United gave him three, uh, matches. The matches were Tottenham Hotspur, Atalanta, and the Derby coming up on the weekend. Uh, you know, test one passed with him defeating Nuno spirit Santo and Tottenham Hotspur. I, I didn't look at the score. I think it was three, no, but regardless uh, it's actually developed a second turn of events, which we will mention with, uh, with Nima. And that is Nuno spirit Santo. Now on the hot seat at Tottenham Hotspur. And really this has become a two team race to sign Antonio Conte, which I think is, is just like you said, what have you done for me lately? All the gloves are off. I mean, here we are. And, you know, will will United stick to their three-match plan and wait? Knowing that Tottenham Hotspur might be throwing a boatload of money at him. There's also Newcastle United in the background, remember, where they've got billions of dollars now. They can, they can basically buy Antonio Conte a country and say, okay, here, this is yours. You know, it, 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 there's just so many moving pieces. What are your thoughts on... The, the Conte sweepstakes, I guess. And where does Conte land? And uh, do you think it happens before the end of the year?
0: Ah, it's weird, and we're going to get into that with, with Nima, but I, I just I don't know if he really is a manager that wants to come in midway. I just don't mm. see it. Right. I think he wants, and then you know that Conte is a manager that is very much particular and and really wants He's basically like Bielsa, but in a lesser way, mm. like in terms of not not his tactics, obviously, but just like mm. in his demand. It's, it's almost like a like. He's like, not as a uh, Bielsa is the, no Bielsa's the hot sauce, and Conte is like the mild sauce. Yeah, way. yeah. Um. So yeah, I, he would have to be swayed very much. So, it, to but co-
1: to coin Bill um, Parcells, to coin Bill Parcells, you know, like he said when he went to New England. If they're gonna make you cook the meal, they should let you buy the groceries. Conte is gonna to want to buy his groceries, right? I mean, simple.
0: And, he, and, and mind you, I he's not gonna get maybe those groceries in January.
1: No, no, of course not. Those groceries aren't on the shelves in January. They're usually on the shelf in June. Mm-hmm. So yeah, gonna be gonna be interesting stuff to watch. But you know, next time we uh, next time we have a show, we might have a follow up on that because the, the, that is an evolving situation going on so let's table that discussion of, of coaching the coaching carousel and let's move on to our discussions with Nima Tavale earlier today we were joined by Nima Tavale from Semper Inter.com and the Italian Football Podcast we were able to talk a little bit of Antonio Conte like we just mentioned in the coaching carousel we were able to talk Inter Milan we were able to talk Juventus as well and the turmoil that they're in at the moment so let's get to it without further ado the Nima Tavale interview and joining us now on Low Limit Football from SemperInter.com and the Italian Football Podcast, Mr. Nima Tavale. Nima, welcome back to the show. It's always a pleasure to have you on. I want to just jump into really quick Inter's current form. Uh, obviously winning 2-0 against Udinese today. They uh, they will advance on to uh, face the second leg of Sheriff Tiraspol in Champions League. They've also got Napoli coming up as well as the Derby coming up against Milan. Uh, both teams leading the Serie A currently and obviously Inter making that push. What are your thoughts uh, of the team going into this this condensed version of the schedule, which sees very, very important matches coming up very, very quickly for them?
2: Um, I think just, well, first of all, good to be with you guys again. Um, I, I think it's looking at today, um, the results of this last week against Empoli and Udinese, um, and also taking into consideration the result against Juve and how Inter played there. It's quite clear that um, it's it's a little bit like history repeating itself uh with for Inter fans in the sense that Simone Inzaghi, just like Antonio Conta last season, you know, unleashed Inter attacking wise, um, but left quite a lot to desire defensively and also the balance. There was no balance. And Inter's midfield has struggled to control. The tempo of the midfield and the control games in midfield, um, there's been problems there with Barella and, and Brozovic obviously working really well, but you haven't found the perfect partner, I thought, for, for them, in, whether it's Shalanoglu, so for Arturo Vidal has been the one that's been the best one. Uh, to play those games but Inter have struggled to control games and I think what we saw today he gambled a little bit today because Alexis Sanchez was outstanding against Empoli um and he's clearly in form and he wants to play but it's quite but what he reason he started Korea is because he wanted to give him he wants to have his squad firing on all cylinders, every single member of that squad firing on all cylinders um at this early stage in the season, so that he can count on them and you know rotate them as he moves moves on um It was a bit of a gamble because if it's not a game that suits Korea, Korea's a player who needs space. Uh, and and needs time on the ball to really excel. Um, and he didn't, against an Udinese that defends in two blocks of five, kind of, you know, completely shutting down space in, in the midfield and uh, conceding nothing, that made Korea completely invisible and useless and pointless for 60 minutes, until he got that bit of space when Perisic, who I thought was the best player on the pitch today, I thought it was outstanding, and he's probably been into his best performer consistently, together with Dzeko, um for for about three, or four weeks now. Um, when he released that, you know, when he did that dummy and gave, you know, created that space for Korea, when he when he gets that speed going and his technical ability is so good that that he's he, he, he's almost unstoppable. Then, um, but having said that, it's I still have my concerns about Joaquín Korea because you know today we saw. His link-up play was atrocious. His passing and movement was very bad. Um, I don't know if some of that is probably also down to him coming back from an injury, uh, which he spoke about himself post-game. And and the fact that he's not too concrete when when he need to be. Now obviously that was fixed in the second half. He scored a brace, two great goals. But but I mean that's how it is when you have bad games, um, just like Dumfries, Denzel Dumfries, and and Joaquin Correa have, and you leave the pitch with two goals and one assist. That only builds, helps build your confidence moving forward, and I think that is the most—that's the biggest positive to take away for 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 Inter and Simon Inzaghi—is that his players who have struggled, who haven't looked comfortable, um, who haven't looked good—they—they—they they, they win, they score, and and they they're working themselves into form, and that's 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 a very good that's a very good place to be going into next week, and also. You know, the clean sheets. into having, you know, two clean sheets where they almost conceded nothing uh, in, two, in both these games. Obviously, Empoli and Udinese aren't the best teams in, in the Serie A or Europe for that matter. But still, it's important to get that defensive solidity back as Antonio Conte did last season.
0: You know, Nima, it's a good point that you mentioned about Joaquin Correa, and I did see your tweets from the game today, how, you know, he obviously wasn't as impressive during the first hour and then obviously scored this brace. And, you know, people can say, oh, but he scored twice. You know, that obviously means that it's a good game for for any player, but, you know, you got to look at the big picture. But so far, obviously, you know, playing at Inter, had nine games, four goals. It's been, as you said, has been a bit inconsistent. But having said yeah. that, how do you generally see... After, especially after this, you know, is this something that, you know, and, and tying into my next question after this, but do, do you see this as a situation that maybe Inter can indeed tie down on him for next season? Do you think that he's proven something already? Or does he have to, you know, you have to wait a few more months until Inter really want to actually get something from him and, and keep him long term?
2: No, no, no! You have to. I mean, the, the deal is that he is an Inter player. I mean, Inter have loaned him until January, and then from February, Inter have to buy him for from Lazio. So, so he is an Inter player. He's going. He's not going anywhere. Um, the the the, the, the issue is. Look, I, I think it's too soon to say anything. Uh, it's too soon to say whether he's a flop, whether he's uh. Uh, 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 a great signing it's far too soon it's you know it's it's so early in the season and he's him and Denzel Dumfries are slowly getting into it I mean Denzel Dumfries doesn't speak Italian he comes from the Dutch league you know to go from a very open league to the most tactical league in the world is pretty difficult step to take and I think then we need to afford both of them time Um, and these you know and, and things that happen things that you know like what happened today with both of them combining for the second goal and, and also Correa scoring, that will only increase their confidence. And, and Simone is the right guy to, to lead them because he's Simone Zaghi. He, he clearly is very good at his man management skills. The, the players really respond to him. They really like him. Um, and he's uh, it was quite clear that he's, he understands that it's going to be a little bit difficult, obviously with Correa being injured um, and working himself back to fitness. Uh, It's going to be interesting. It's absolutely going to be interesting to see what happens, but I think it's far too soon to say anything definitive on anyone other than Edin Dzeko has so far been the signing of the summer. And looking
0: into, sticking into Argentine strikers, uh, into my next question, obviously over the week, we did see Inter really tie down a player for a couple more years, and that's Lautaro Martinez, who has officially re-signed for Inter until 2026. And, you know, I think one of the key things here is that in his new deal, he has no buyout clause. So yeah. how important is that for Inter to keep a player like Lautaro, who, you know, is, is quality on his day, is, is has done so far, you would think so well at Inter over the course of his time there. But, you know, looking at the depth that they have, you mentioned Jacko; he's been great so far, but also he's on a bit of the older side. And, and getting someone like Lautaro for an extended amount of period is going to be very much important for Inter. So how, how do you view this signing and, and how it what it means to, to Inter long-term?
2: No, it's incredibly important because it gives credibility to the Suning project again, which has been lacking severe credibility after Antonio Conte walked out days after winning the Scudetto for the first time in 11 years, uh, followed suit quickly by Ashraf Hakimi and Romelu Lukaku. So uh, it's it, it gives, you know, and, and then the Oak Tree loan and then all these rumors about, the public investment fund in Saudi Arabia that refused to go away. And, and then Stephen Zhang, obviously, this last week, said that they're all unfounded and, and speculative. Uh, and, and they want to stay. Suning aren't going anywhere, at least for now. And I think a big part of that is the stadium. Once they get that final approval of that stadium being built together with Milan, I think we will see an ownership change in, in both of those clubs because uh, Suning's ownership of Inter is not tenable. Uh, neither and it's quite clear that Elliott never intended to stay at Milan for as long as they did now uh, so both of these clubs are just waiting for the final ok's for all the papers to be signed and rubber stamped and for the stadium to begin to be built and once that's done then i think we'll see because it'll raise obviously the values of both clubs and they're talking about it should be ready by 2026 when the win- when the olympics the winter olympics they want to have the inaugural uh, the inauguration of the winter olympics there so no I I think it's it, it's incredibly important to get Lautaro to sign. I mean now Simone Inzaghi today said um that you know now it's time for Brozovic and Barella to sign as well. And and this kind of gives credibility to the entire project and, and creates a form of you know long-term stability for all of them. Um I think De is also a player they're going to try to extend in November. Uh, he's got Mino Raiola as an agent and you know it's it's it, you know now they you know, they just put everything on hold because of the financial uncertainties following the COVID pandemic uh, and the complete meltdown of, of, of the world economy, pretty much. I mean, Inter's owner Suning have, you know, they, they, they've lost an incredible amount of money in uh, Evergrande, the uh, real estate company, which was, you know, trying to save that was described as bloodbath. Um, and the Chinese government have come in and saved Suning, but they're not going to finance Inter. Uh, they they want their money back. So I think it's the, the Suning will stay for for one for maybe a year more or so. But I mean it's 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 um, there's no doubt in my mind that they're leaving. But but to, but to answer your point, yeah, Lautaro signing an extension and removing that buyout clause is incredibly important.
0: Now, switching to another team that I think has done very well so far this season, I wanted to talk about a team that I think you definitely have enjoyed, and that's Hellas Verona. Hellas has Mm -hmm. actually done quite so well uh, this season under Sevilla Di Francesco, you know, obviously currently in eighth place, but only a few points behind uh, the final spots for European competitions. Do you see this side, and and obviously we saw the performance that we had from Jolito Simeone against Lazio and then against Juventus over the last few games, so, you know, do you see this kind of Form continuing for Hellas. I mean, what what has made you so impressed by this side uh, so far this season?
2: Well, the fact that they sacked Jose Eusebio di Francesco was the reason that they that they're doing so well because he is by far completely out of he was he's so inept and out of his depth and, and bringing you know I I, I had a asterix on my uh, Serie A predictions and that is if they keep this man until Christmas they will be relegated if they sack him before that they will have a good season. And now Igor Tudor's come on and doing an absolutely brilliant job. Uh, we know he's, you know, him and Yurich are really building on a very, very interesting careers, both of them. Um, I think the organization that they have and, and also the movement, the, they're solid defensively. I mean, Hellas have been punching above their weight for years. And now they will not only won't, um, now not only will they not, be relegated, but as you said, I think they're a mid-table Serie A-C side, like they were under Ivan Juric, only they're much more, uh, you know, from an attacking point of view, they're nicer to watch now. As for Cholito, it's not a secret that I I I think there's a player there. I really like him as a player. I don't I think he's a hard working player, he's a technical player, he's a, he's he's tactically astute. I think his career was hindered a little bit when he broke out at Genoa and went to Fiorentina, and uh, Fiorentina was currently going through quite a difficult period in their in their um in their project and, and he couldn't really come to his uh you know, express himself the way that he, he and his talents that 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 I think he has. And now he's twenty six, twenty-seven years old and he's He's, he's, he's looks better than he's, he's ever been. And and I, I think there's a player there. I've always rated him. And I think this is his breakout, real breakout season. Um, I don't think he'll be a top goal scorer, but I think he'll score 20 goals in the Serie A for sure. And I think Hellas can absolutely look to finish in the top 10.
0: And then looking into and closing it back to Inter, obviously, getting into the Champions League, obviously a very important game against Sheriff Tiers Paul in Moldova. And you know obviously, looking at how tight the group is so far, how obligated our Inter to get the three points here, and do you feel that if anything less would probably mean that they don't advance to the round of 16?
2: Look, Inter have to win against Sheriff. There's no doubt about that. Um, they beat them at home. Now they play them on Wednesday. Um, they have to win that game. Um, and when they win that game, then they have Shakhtar at home, and if they win that, they're almost all but through, because I don't think Real Madrid will... will. Um, uh, I don't think Real Madrid will, will slip up much long much more than that um but uh, more than they have already in the Champions League I expect them to 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 uh, to go through together with Inter I expect them to win both of their games, upcoming games now against Shakhtar and uh, and Sheriff. And then the last game of the week and the last game of the round will be, if that happens, and need to do their jobs. Both of these teams are through to the second round and they'll, be a, they'll face off at the Bernabeu to decide who finishes top of the group. Um, so, uh, no, I, I expect Inter to do the job. They have to do the job. Anything, you know, it, it would be an absolute disaster for Inter to, uh, if, if they didn't beat Sheriff, I mean, with all due respect, Sheriff showed they're a good side, but they, this is, you know, Inter should comfortably beat them.
1: It's amazing. You know, Nima, a couple of weeks ago, we had Emi Rosu on the show and we were diving deeper into Sheriff Tiraspol as they were finishing up their, their second match and they were, you know, unbeaten in the group. And we were talking about them potentially being able to move on in this group. And we've gone from that to losing to their, their first match against Inter Milan, a, a team that really hadn't, um, Achieved what they should have achieved in this group leading into that match. And now we are we're full swing three weeks later saying um, not only are we looking at Inter to advance, we're also looking at Sheriff Tiraspol to be, uh, you know, eliminated, which is it's amazing. You you just can't blink during the uh, the Champions League group stages because things can change in a minute. Um, I want to I want to jump in back to Inter Milan because I want to talk about some of the other news that came down this week and that was the news that Christian Eriksen uh, his time at uh, Inter Milan is pretty much done given that they he can't get medical clearance uh, given the rules in Italy uh, potentially building a move back to the Premier League for him what are your thoughts on how things have gone down for Christian Eriksen I mean thankfully he's still with us and still going to potentially be a contributing player on on some uh, football team in, in the in the top five leagues. But what are your thoughts on how this has all progressed for Christian Eriksen and where he might potentially end up next?
2: Um, I think that um, what we saw, that statement from Inter got really blown out of proportion. It was a statement from a financial report express, you know, expressing how much, you know, that they're going to get, they're going to be reimbursed by FIFA because it was a FIFA sanctioned tournament. And then they spoke about that, you know, what we know, that he can't, he's not allowed to play in Italy. Doesn't this, uh, the Italian Olympic Committee give a, it's called, it's like a, it's like a, what do you call it? Certification. A document. Yeah, it's like a document that says that you have no underlying, um, you have no underlying health issues and and therefore you can, you know, play, you're allowed to, you know, play elite sports in Italy. Um, And, yeah, no, so basically, uh, well, well, you know, it was completely broad out of proportion. And what they said was that this doesn't, you know, they basically confirmed what everyone knew, um, saying that, you know, with this implant, he can't play in Italy, which we all know, but he can play elsewhere. And they also added, which we also already knew, and they also added that this that it doesn't mean that he can't ever play in Italy in the future either. It depends on what happens moving forward and and what the what the um, what the what happens in terms of uh, you know what what the doctors say when he you know when they monitor him and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Having said that, there's no there's, so so there was really nothing new that came out of that statement, and obviously everybody created a completely uh, it, you know it, it's, Media in the UK, especially, turned that into into quite the frenzy. Uh, but I mean, the thing that is really interesting is that the Premier League sources inside the Premier League said that he's he can play in the Premier League with this implant. It doesn't automatically exclude him. Um, I don't think. I think with Inter, I think Inter are going to. Try to address this issue and say, "Look, what do you want to do, Christian? What what is it you want to do? No pressure. When you're ready to make your decision, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to leave? Do you want to stay? Do you want to, uh, you know, do you want to finish your career? Whatever you want to do, that that the club will support. That um, they're not going to put pressure on him. So I think that in January we'll see this." Be, you know, reach some conclusion. I don't think he, he will ever play for Inter again. I think it's incredibly sad because I think he's sorely missed uh, at Inter, uh, and and he was outstanding together with Barella and Brozovic in in Antonio Conte's machine that that mopped the floor with all teams last season. Um, and I think I don't know if the Premier League is he can go there either. I mean, of course he can. You know, he's allowed to play there, but I don't think that when you have such a scare and the intensity of the premier league i don't know i don't know if he wants to subject himself to that
1: Hmm. interesting stuff i you know and and obviously good on enter for for saying hey listen we'll do this at your speed not ours um we'll figure it out but we'll figure it out together and, and we'll make an informed decision i think that's you know incredibly you know kind of of a club where these days many many clubs many agents many players can be mercenaries um, to do that I think is, is certainly you know above boards and, and stand up by, by the club for sure. Um, I'm glad you mentioned another name because I wanted to talk about it, and that is Antonio Conte. Uh, the rumors right now, and, and we're going to kind of blend England in here a little bit, the rumors are Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has three matches to go ahead and turn things around at Manchester United, the first one of which he won at uh, Tottenham Hotspur, which has also triggered rumors that Nuno Spirito Santo could be sacked any time now by Spurs, the key here is that both clubs have labeled Antonio Conte as their number one target to take over um, if Ole doesn't turn it around and currently uh, where Nuno stands. So your thoughts on, on Conte possibly going to Manchester United or to Tottenham Hotspur, would he go in the middle of a season? Is he a guy now that you've, he's basically told the world listen, I like my own projects. I, I want to have a full window where I can get my pieces and build my squad and, and not have to kind of jump in and be a fireman and fix things. Um, would Conte even take either of these jobs before or even during the winter transfer window?
2: I think he would uh, take both of those. Usually he wouldn't. He's not the kind of guy who likes to take Players uh, like to take over squads mid season, he absolutely hates that. But, um, but when I look at both of these squads, and I look at I mean, I look at both United and I look both at, at Spurs, it's um, these, these are squads that are pretty much suited to his style of football, his three-five-two, Um, I you know, from from defense to to attack, um, the. Uh, the only player that i would say absolutely doesn't suit conte's system is is cristiano ronaldo um, because he doesn't press he barely moves but uh, in this stage in his career uh but i mean at the, but if conte is good at man management and he knows how to handle stars be you know how to handle those situations i think both of those clubs would be ideal for him um in terms of just like tactically looking at their squads, but will he take them over? Is he prepared to do that? Because no, he wants a full preseason because he wants his Pintus, you know, his fitness coach, and he wants to drill these players and get them playing the high intensity football he wants. He's not a mid season mid season kind of guy, and so I I don't think that he would be. I think the only job that he would be prepared to take over mid season would be Man United. Um, but other than that, I don't think so. I that that's not how he works.
1: Does Paul Pogba stay at Man U if he goes there?
2: Oh undoubtedly. Yeah. Undoubtedly. Pogba yeah. loves him and he loves Pogba. I mean he he he's the one one of the things one of the biggest misconceptions about uh Paul about Antonio Conte is that he doesn't play young players. That's just not true. He's the one who lo- launched Pogba onto the stage. He's the one who launched uh Bastoni onto the stage. Christensen Senat at uh, Chelsea, he doesn't care about if they give him what he wants, he'll play them. Um, Barella was a kind of a young kid when he came over. He was handpicked by Conte. No, he's uh, Conte doesn't Conte doesn't care about age at all. What he cares about is is players giving him what he wants.
1: True story. One more. This has been a great coaching discussion. Following up on our coaching discussion and opening thoughts. So I want to go one more step and I want to go back to Juventus um, after the the result and after the the play of that team, uh, the two 0 loss to Hellas Verona. Just the other day, uh, Max Allegri, uh, in my opinion, got the entire match all wrong, especially in the midfield. Mm. It was disastrous for me. Um, And what compounded that disastrous performance by Allegri is the fact that he waited another 15 minutes into the second half before he made his changes, changes that were effective. In the, uh, in the match itself. So now, the team has gone into Ritero, you know, until the Fiorentina match coming up next weekend. They're going to have the Zenit match mixed in for Champions League right in the middle there. But in terms of their performance, both on the pitch that we saw this weekend and what we've seen up recently, which has been a series of 1-0 victories... Um, do you put more of this on allegri? do you put it on the the front office and and what the front office has selected for players over the past couple of years um the spirit uh or the or the ambitions of the players i mean where do you where would you put blame
2: on this look I think it's a multifaceted issue here I think it's a mul- there are several things i think the the foundations of this mess were laid when Beppe Marotta left Juventus and they decided to to stick with fabio Paratici. And one of the main, most one of the important wrong decisions that was made at the time, and I will, and I've always said that I think it was the wrong decision, was signing Cristiano Ronaldo, Mm. uh, because Cristiano Ronaldo was supposed to be the cherry on top of the icing on top of the cake, but it never materialized, and he swallowed up so much of Juve's finances that they couldn't they weren't able to invest in other areas where they were supposed to invest and so the midfield looks at the state it does and of course you know signing western mckenney for for all that money and uh, for spending that much money on western mckenney when he's you know he's a good player but he's absolutely not of that level that you would need him to be um so, you know, and then appointing Sarri, which is completely just a mismatch, and then sacking Sarri for no reason when you finally bring in players that actually suit his football, and then replacing with, with a guy who, didn't even, who wasn't even a coach in Andrea Pirlo. No, it's, 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 it's just Juve have gotten the most important decision wrong, and that was Paratici over Marotta. And when you make a, such an important decision and you get that wrong then you're going to make other important decisions you're going to get other important decisions wrong as well and that's what's happened here a little bit so i think it's a combination of things but having said that um if you're going to rebuild if this is year zero and i really think this is year zero for Juve, max Alleghi is absolutely the right man at the right place he knows what He's trying to. He knows what it what it means to win at Juve. He, he's the one who understands what lo stile Juve means, not just as in terms of talking, but also professionalism. Often on the pitch, um, he's incredibly well prepared. He um, he never, you know, he's tactically incredibly astute. He runs eights around everyone. Of course, he can get it wrong. He's a human being. He's not a machine, and he got it wrong uh, against Verona entirely. But again, I think you know the, the, these are teething issues. Um, let's not forget that they went on a run of six games, where they won, five, six games, where they won every single one, one nil, and they barely conceded anything. Um, it, and and the, these things will happen. It's going. You are going to have, you know, going to get away for. Uh, you know, I think it was rather expected, to be honest. I think a lot of us, myself included, thought, okay, well, Alèg is back. You know, you just press the on button and everything flies. That's not how it works. Um, and he's going to need time. And and Juve will now, after Ronaldo's left, they have they will be able to start investing. I think Locatelli was a brilliant signing. I think Artur Melo and him are the the way that Juve should build moving forward. Um I think Kulusevski and Chiesa Delicht, all these guys, you know, they they are young players and they will they have to understand what it is to be at Juve and the level that you need to be at, a training off the pitch, on the pitch, all that around it. And he's he's Pounding it into them, you know these—they're gavetta, as the Italians say. That's what they're doing right now. He's mm-hmm. teaching them what it means to be at Juve, and you know we are seeing encouraging signs. Um, and so I'm not too worried at all. I think I don't think Juve are going to win the Scudetto this season, um, but uh, I think we can safely say that. I mean, 16 points behind, I think is quite a quite a, um, an advantage that they need to make up. But I wouldn't put it if anyone can do it, it's Allegri's Juve. But I, I still don't think it is uh, because I think Napoli are much more solid. I think Inter look better. I think Milan are much more. I think those. I think the four teams are those four teams: mm. uh, Juve, Juve, Milan, uh, Inter, Napoli. But I do expect, um, uh, but I do expect um, Juve to bounce back and, and to look better. And, and his this retiro that he's, called, you know, this isn't going to be easy for them. He's going to pound them. Um, and I think we'll, we'll see a reaction in midweek and, uh, then, you know, going into next week and uh, next weekend, I think we'll, they'll, they'll, they'll continue building on that just like they did last time when they were, when they lost against Empoli, I think it was, and they kind of recovered pretty quickly after that.
1: Yeah. First signs, obviously we're going to keep an eye out for going to be against Zen at midweek in the champions league. So Nima, always a pleasure to have you on the show. You know, you're one of our best friends and we really appreciate everything you do for us. Um, looking forward to the Italian football podcast coming out this week with Carlo, uh, because this is the, I know you guys are on Patreon, but I believe the one coming out this week will be the free one. Am I, am I correct? In yeah.
2: That? yeah. Yeah, that's true. The first one of every month, <clears throat> excuse me. The first one of every month is free and, and tomorrow's the a new month. So yeah, tomorrow will be a free one.
1: Fantastic stuff. I can't wait to hear what you guys have to say about all of the stuff that's gone on in Italy. So again, thanks again uh-huh. for coming on my friend. Uh, and we always, uh, we always appreciate you coming on and look forward to seeing you Again, sometimes really soon, man.
2: Always a pleasure to be with you guys and keep up the good work.
1: And special thanks again to Nima Tavale for joining us on the show. Roberto, we've got some great matches of the week coming up this week, so let me give you the big rundown for this week as we return to Champions League and Europa League coming up. On Tuesday, we have Atalanta-Manchester United at 4 p.m. Again, match two of only Gunnar Solskjaer's uh test let's say and then at night we have a big one that's going to have playoff implications in MLS LAFC in Vancouver at 10 30 p.m on Wednesday we're going to go to Sheriff Ball and Inter Milan at 4 p.m obviously the big one Inter as Nima alluded to in our conversation could possibly be turning their their tide and, and getting into the knockout stages of the Champions League that's going to be one of the big steps in that one on Thursday, Marseille Lazio at 4 p.m. in the Europa League. Then the big one on Saturday, Manchester Derby, 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Manchester United at Old Trafford to take on Man City. We also follow that up at 1.30 p.m. with RB Leipzig and Borussia Dortmund uh, coming to you from Germany. And then on Sunday... All the uh, good ones are lopped into that one time frame, that 2.45 slot. Rena Leon in League 1 at 2.45 p.m. We have the uh, Milan Derby, Inter, I'm sorry, Milan versus uh, Inter Milan at 2.45 p.m. And then the big one in Spain uh, is going to be a, a battle of top, two top teams, Betis and Sevilla uh, facing each other at 3 p.m. So those are the matches of the week we've got going for you. The trivia question, sir, if you would like it again, I would be more than happy to give it to you.
0: Let's
1: do it. So, in, uh so far in the 21, 22 season uh, with obviously on the heels of Ronald Kluman being sacked, I'd like you to give me a number as to how many coaches have been sacked or stepped down from their positions in the top five leagues and what countries have led the way with the most, uh, most managers departing in that time frame. Okay. Um,
0: I'm going to take a big guess on the country. Sorry, no on the number, but I'm gonna. I think the country I should give you is it
1: England. No, it is not England. Okay. A uh, bit of a trick question, my friend, because there are actually two, two two countries that are tied. Okay, and England's not one of them. And England is not one of them. Okay,
0: so then
1: my next one would be Spain. Spain does hold the uh, the top spot, tied with a second country. Can you give me the second country? France. Italy Italy and I'm not going to tell you how many each country is fired yet because you got to give me a total number of coaches my friend how many yeah, coaches only... have been sacked uh, I'm gonna can I get a hint um nope I'll give is you a higher dump? I'll give you a higher or lower okay that's fine eight higher 12 lower one more shot two <laughs> uh, 10 10 is correct Ten coaches have been sacked in the top five leagues so far. Italy has sacked three. Spain has sacked three. Germany, one. England, two. France, one. Seven of the ten coaches have been sacked in the month of October. Uh, just to give you an idea, we will give you the names real quick. Steve Bruce at Newcastle. Isco Munoz at Watford. Uh, at Ligon. Jean-Louis Gasset. Uh, that is at, I believe he was at, uh, he was Bordeaux. Uh, Serie A, we saw Salernitana sack Fabrizio Castori. As Nima mentioned, Hellas sacked uh, Eusebio Di Francisco. And Cagliari sacked uh, Leonardo Semplici. Bundesliga, the one coach, Mark Van Bommel, Wolfsburg, sacked on October 24th. And the three that we're missing in La Liga, Ronald Koeman at Barcelona. At Getafe, we have Michel. And the last one at Levante would be Paco Lopez, the 10 coaches so far that have been sacked in the top five leagues in europe so without anything left on the docket my friend let me hit the closing music let's do it here we go so, for episode 340 of Lone Limit Football, special thanks again to Nima Tavale for joining us on the show. Next week, we'll take a look back at the Champions League and see where we are after match day four. We'll take a look back into the top five leagues as well and tell you what's going on there, and we'll let you know if any other coaches have been sacked. So, for episode 340 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Usello.
0: I'm Robert Ojas.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night.